Welcome back to the podcast and happy 2-2-22 today on this Wednesday. And uh, that means that 2-22-22 is coming up later in the month. And that date, 2-22-22, happens to land on a Tuesday of all things. Speaking of dates, nearly 30 years ago, uh, Pastor John delivered a lecture series on biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, the relevance of the series you are about to hear for yourself. It was 1993. He was speaking to college students in Dayton, Tennessee. Uh, I only recently listened to this series, and today we are going to feature a clip from part four of it, brought to our attention by a couple named David and Katerina, who listened to APJ in Germany. Katerina wrote in to say this, the other week, my husband and I celebrated our second wedding anniversary. Congratulations to you both. And we went away for a weekend to refocus, reflecting on the year past and planning for the year ahead. And we wanted to listen to a sermon series to give us something to think about and ponder. And this time we picked Pastor John's lecture series called Manhood, Womanhood, and God, a series from 1993, almost three decades ago. Uh, well, thank you for the prompt. Katerina drew our attention to part four, especially which is titled Lovers of Truth in a Politically Correct and Gender-Leveling World. Uh, she sent this clip on political correctness, where Pastor John gives examples of slogans in his day. Uh, back in 93, Orwellian slogans used to sort of bias interpretation. The following audio is uh, its not perfect. We worked with it a little bit, but the point is very relevant. It's worth a listen. Here's Pastor John in 1993. Let me read you a text from the teachings of Jesus that is a clarion call to you this morning to be courageous in speaking unpopular things. This comes from Matthew 10. Starting at verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those who are of his household? In other words, expect to be maligned in the world. Don't assume that when you are called a name, you've suddenly made a big mistake and have said something inappropriate. Oh, I must go back and find another way to say it so they won't malign me. It says you're going to be maligned. They spit on him. They crowned him with thorns. They called him names. They laughed him to scorn. Shall we be above our teacher? That's the point here. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, utter in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, the point of that text is unmistakably clear because of the threefold repetition of the command. Verse 26, have no fear of them. Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. Verse 31, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus does not want any of you to be afraid 
And the issue about fear here is what comes out of your mouth. He is asking you to speak clearly, that is, in the light, and forthrightly and publicly, that is, on the housetops, things that will get you killed. Before your life is over, it is in all likelihood that you will be in jail for saying some of the things that I've said in this room in these past two days. Or if not in jail, you will be the victim of random violence from certain communities in society. One of our pastors was shot at on the way home from church last Sunday night. Just random, out of the towers across the street from the church, you heard the bullet go zing and hit the, hit the ground beside him. Now we have no idea, what was this? Why is this person doing this? Was it intentional? Police don't have anything to say about it. But I don't, that doesn't surprise me at all. Our church is known for a few controversial things. There are people who live in those towers who don't like what we say. Guns are easily available. Some of them are not mentally stable. Now, if you decide, oh, I'm not going to live in a place like that. No way. Woo. What are you? What, what, who's your master? What, what is this? Are you American or are you Christian? Do you, do you choose your house for safety or do you choose your house for ministry? Jesus is real clear here. Be courageous. Be fearless. So I want you to be unafraid this morning in spite of what it's going to cost you to say things that are unpopular or dangerous. Now, in order to do that, you need to really exploit your time here at Bryan to become strong in the truth and strong in the word. Don't be children in your thinking. Be babes in evil in your thinking. Be mature, Paul says elsewhere. He wants you to use this time here at Bryan to grow more and more mature in your thinking, to send your roots deeper and deeper into the objective evidences of God's truth so that when you walk out of this place and scatter all over the nation and around the world, you go with a profound conviction about a few things in the world. You will always see through a glass darkly. You will never be totally comprehensive and have all the knowledge that God has. But there are a few things that you will know. Let me give you some examples now, the kind of thing I think you need to be really shrewd about. I called this talk um, Lovers of Truth in a Politically Correct World and a Gender-Leveling World. Because as I've lived now in Minneapolis in these past couple of years watching the way language is so manipulated by politically correct people to get their ideas into students' minds by circumventing reasoned argument and using clever language. Just a few examples. My son goes to high school in uh, Minneapolis, and uh, I go down there sometimes to see him or to do whatever, and I went down a year ago and saw two posters. They were over every doorway that were leading to the stairwells. So every student had to pass under these posters. They were school-sanctioned posters, and they were politically correct, and they were gender-leveling and homosexuality-endorsing. But the way they did it were oblique and remarkably shrewd and clever, the kind of thing that 
Students, by and large, in the ninth through the twelfth grade have not been trained to discern and spot and unpack and make distinctions. That's why you're here, to learn to do that. Here was one of them. Big, beautiful poster, color, rainbow kind of decoration. Quote, one in ten people are gay, lesbian, or bisexual. They could be your brother, sister, parent, or friend. That's all the poster said. What's that? What's that message? It's, it's crafted in such a way so that if a parent went into a principal and said, I don't like that, he'd say, well, what don't you like about it? It doesn't teach anything. It just... Well, there's several problems with that simple little quote. Number one, the statistic is inflated. Ten percent. What's the point of that? The point is to create a feeling in these students. My God, every tenth person in the hall is gay. And, and that is the feeling they want to create. Because once you feel that, you have to say, it just can't be as bad as I feel it is. Something must be wrong with me. That's the, that's the, that's the thought. Now, it's inflated. The numbers aren't 10%. No. The National Center for Health Statistics say three. William Simon and the Kinsey Institute say two to three. The Chicago study recently says one percent, maybe. Nobody knows for sure. Ten percent was one of those inflated figures. Then here's the second thing wrong with it. There was no moral assessment of the behavior. It's an emotional appeal. Your parent might be gay or bisexual. Now, when that thought enters a ninth grader's mind, my daddy might be a bisexual. What, what's he supposed to do with that? No teaching, no standards, just the thought sown in the kid's brain. I'll tell you what, what happens is that he might say, oh, I just can't be. But if it keeps coming back, he'll say, well, if it were, he's okay. And it must be okay. And, and so you reduce the whole moral dimension of something being right or wrong. This is politically correct manipulation of language to put ideas into minds by short-circuiting clear critical thinking. And it happens in every newspaper almost every day and on almost every television advertisement and virtually all kinds of media Efforts. Here's, here was the other poster. It was even more tricky. Shorter. Poster said, respect sees no color, gender, sexual orientation, religion, disability. That's all it said. How can you complain about that? What do you got against respect? What are you, homophobic? What, what are you, against disabled people? There are several problems with it. One is, it puts homosexuality in the same category with sexuality. Gender and sexual orientation are side by side. Respect sees no sexual orientation, and respect sees no gender and no color. So once you've got sexual orientation listed beside whether you're male or female and whether you're black or white, then... You can't feel any more strongly about this distinction than you can about these distinctions. 
Nobody feels that it's right or wrong to act black or act white. Nobody feels that it's right or wrong for a woman to act like a woman and a man to act like a man. And therefore, obviously, nobody should feel that it's right or wrong for a person who has a homosexual orientation to act that way and a one who has a heterosexual orientation to act that way. That's the message of the poster. As soon as you line up those things without any distinction, gender, color, religion, sexual orientation, you've told the students, treat them on the same level. They're not on the same level. To be a male or a female is a holy and good thing created by God and endorsed by God and in God's image. To act out a homosexual orientation and to act out a heterosexual orientation are profoundly different than that category. That's the first problem. The second problem is the statement, respect sees no. All that the public schools can do, since they have forsaken almost all, where I live anyway, I don't know where it is, where you are down here. I, from what I hear, it's amazingly different. It, but it, it'll be here eventually in the public schools. So the public schools have forsaken virtually all truth and all normative uh, reality and behavior and God talk. And so they don't have any positive foundations for respect. They can't say to a student, respect somebody because you see in them this. They say, respect sees no, and then lists off things that respect doesn't see. So it leaves a big void underneath, well, why should we respect anybody? Which is one of the reasons why there is so little respect among students for anything. The schools can't provide them with a positive foundation, the foundation for respecting black and white and male and female and people of, of other religions is God has created all human beings in his image. There is a way to respect a murderer. There's a way to respect a rapist. There's a way to respect somebody no matter what they've done because they're created in God's image. They are not snakes. They're not frogs or horses. They are human beings no matter what they've done, no matter their sexual orientation, no matter their sex, no matter their religion. There is a respect that one can accord them, even if it might mean putting them in jail. You don't put snakes in jail. But you can't say anything like that. You can't provide a foundation for respect in the image of God. And so students are left with a groundless call to respect, and they say, what's the deal? Why shouldn't I shoot him? He mouthed off to me. And the third problem with that is, in fact, respect does see gender and religion, and it makes a difference. There are courtesies and forms of respect that men owe to women that they don't owe to men. The one I could get most agreement on is, you don't go in her locker room, you go in his locker room. To tell these students that respect sees no gender is terribly destructive. It sees she's a woman and I will treat her differently than I treat these guys that I'm always treating in certain ways. I will offer certain courtesies, I will offer certain respect. I will acknowledge sexual differences that will mean I don't take liberties with her that I might take with him. To tell them you don't see it is wrong. Same thing with religion. Respects looks at a Satanist who's involved in ritual satanic abuse 
and he looks at a Jewish person who's trying to keep the Ten Commandments, neither of whom know Jesus Christ, and he will respect this Jewish person more than this satanic person. I'd stand up in any group and say that. Respect does have eyes for gender. It does have eyes for religion. And they make a difference in the kind and form of respect that you give to a person. Well, I just plead with you. Take advantage of these years here at Bryan to become discerning men and women. So that when you read in the paper or when you see a poster or when you look at a billboard or you hear an advertisement, you are not blown about. They don't insinuate ideas in your mind that don't come through the critical filter of biblical thinking. Be the kind of people who can go to a principal and explain to a PTA group or a principal just what I've explained to you, why those posters are destructive, even if they don't agree with you. The world is dying for want of people to stand up and speak that kind of of truth. Crazy relevant clip. 30 years later, that was from Pastor John's lecture series, Manhood, Womanhood, and God. Uh, this here from Part 4, delivered September 22nd, 1993. Uh, you can listen to that message and the whole series at DesiringGod.org. Thanks for listening to the clip. You all find some real gems in the Piper Archive. Man, that's incredible. And uh, that's why most of our clips are crowdsourced now. You find them. Uh, you tell us what bits of Piper Sermons impact you, stand out to you, and we share that clip with the APJ audience. If you've got one, email me. Give me your name, hometown, the sermon title, and the timestamp of where the clip happens in the audio, and tell me how it impacted you. Put the word clip in the subject line of an email and send it to me at askpastorjohn at desiringgod.org. That's an email address, askpastorjohn at desiringgod.org. Well, is our experience of salvation an event, or is it a process? Are we saved in a moment, or are we saved in a series of unfolding events? It's a great and important question. And it's up next when we are rejoined in studio with Pastor John on Friday. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening.